Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new series that I'm doing called Read With Me. It's a series highlighting a book that I've recently read that has either profoundly shaped or changed my perspective on things. I hope you enjoy this one. Welcome to the Strong and Free podcast, where my goal is to showcase multiple perspectives on the topics and ideas of our time. Regardless of your politics and views, you will find a home here because I simply have no agenda to push. My name is Christopher Balkrin, and let's start the conversation. Welcome to my new series called, I'm still debating what it should be called, Read With Me or What I'm Reading, something to do with reading. I can't wait to share this episode with you, but before I do, again, check me out at thestrongandfreepodcast.com, leave me a review, and as I've said before, for those dedicated listeners, you know that If you leave me a review on my website, on Apple Podcasts, I have no say in what it said, and it automatically updates to my website. So definitely let me know what you think I should do better. Again, you know better than me what I need to get better at. So check me out at thestrongandfreepodcast.com, and if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate a review. Thanks again. So welcome to my new series called either Read With Me or What I'm Reading. I'm not sure, but read is going to be somewhere in that title of this series. Um, And the purpose of the series is to highlight a book that I'm reading that has really unlocked um, a a knowledge or ignorance that I used to have um, and share some of, of my learnings with you. And perhaps this may spark something in you to check the book out. Do you remember... As a kid, when you'd go to the library, there'd be those kind of posters about encouraging children to read. You know, what happened to those posters? <laughs> For adults, you know? It's like you go to the library, you see the posters encouraging you to read, and then you just go to high school. I thought I saw some of those posters maybe in the library, and then it just stopped. It's never on public transit, nothing in malls, nothing in your day-to-day life walking the streets of the city that you're in. It's very rare, if ever, to see a poster that says, hey, you know, you should read more. (laughs) It's like society collectively said, you know what, you don't want to read past a certain age because your reading and comprehension's done. You you know, now you're kind of on your own. (laughs) I guess the problem is the issue's uh, that arise in our society requires so much reading to understand the complexity. Anyways, uh, I just found that funny thinking about it. Um, so yeah, it's to highlight a book that I'm reading. You know, one thing I noticed with reading, and this take it from me, let me just be very clear. I did not like reading at all. You know, I really struggled in high school and in university. I did not like doing the readings. They were so long. Uh, my mind was constantly wandering. I could not stay focused. Um, and even in post-university life, I just really rarely picked up a book. I mean, it was actually really, like, it, it was such a struggle for me to sit down for even 10 to 15 minutes a day to read. I had no interest. I could care less to read. I'd rather watch TV or play video games. And, you know, I guess maybe it was, I would constantly watch the news. And I realized in so many areas that my knowledge was so limited, you know, whether it was Middle Eastern politics or if it was the history of China or if it was, you know, different political movements or, you know, not even politics, but just sports. I'm really into sports. I had very limited knowledge on sports. I would just watch what the, what, what, you know, the, the, the news or sorry, what the sports channels would give me. So I kept like butting up to the, 
to the limitations of my knowledge. And it was very limited and thought to myself, okay, well, what if I made a concerted effort to start reading? And, you know, it's just a book a month or a book every other month. And it could be on something I know nothing about. And originally I thought, why don't I read on countries I know nothing about? And I just go down the list like Azerbaijan, you know, uh, Andorra, you know, and just keep working, you know, read the Wikipedia entries of each of the countries at least to get an understanding um, of the world. Um, and then I started reading more and I got really, and I found that within books, there's so much, there's so much there to unpack and it challenged me in different ways. And so I guess it was just like a muscle, you know, if you don't work it out, it's not really used. But once you really delve into the realm of reading, you can't stop or you can't see yourself not reading for a, 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 a long period of time. And reading doesn't necessarily just mean reading a book. It could be listening to an audiobook. It could be, you know, listening to a great podcast or a lecture on YouTube. I mean, instead of watching the, uh, the fail army videos on YouTube, <laughs> why not watch a lecture on some, something random on YouTube? Completely random. And that's one thing that's been a guiding principle. Read on something that is totally random, something that you know nothing about so that it can unlock so much more knowledge uh, for yourself. And it's not just about reiterating what the author says, um, it's about taking what the author says and then trying to kind of piece things together based on your own experiences in life. So I hope you enjoyed this series. The first book I'm going to share with you is the Bhagavad Gita. Now, before I begin, I must say that I had my reservations before reading the Bhagavad Gita. I had always heard about it, but I never truly absorbed it. And I purposely had avoided many religious texts for most all my life because I was worried about the heavy-handedness of most religious texts, the idea that, you know, these religious texts know knows what's best for you, and I was very reticent of that. But after reading the Bhagavad Gita, I must say it is not what I would consider a religious text in the strictest form of that definition. Instead, I think the Bhagavad Gita is a book on human psychology. It's about um, the embodiment of anxieties and stresses and depression even. And it goes into detail about how to navigate those in your daily life. So the Bhagavad Gita, I believe the direct translation is God's poem, is found within the Mahabharata, which is the longest epic poem I believe in the history of humanity or human civilization. Um, conservative estimates put the Mahabharata at 5,000 years old, but some scholars say that it's over 10,000 years old. It's part of, it's part of, uh, there's so many stories within the Mahabharata um, that date it pretty far back. Anyways, all that said, it's a very ancient text. Um, and the Bhagavad Gita, in a nutshell, again, there are, uh, swamis and others online, on YouTube, on Spotify, that go into more detail than I ever could. But in a nutshell, the Bhagavad Gita is really about a soldier going to war and experiencing all forms of anxieties and stresses and is challenged in how to actually navigate those anxieties and stresses. And so the warrior's name is Arjuna. And Arjuna is a warrior, and he's going into battle. 
Arjuna's guide or charioteer is named Krishna. And at the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna brings Arjuna to the center of the battlefield. And on one side of the battlefield, Arjuna sees the other, the, the, the foes that he is to slay. And he's super stressed because he sees family members and friends and past colleagues or whomever, people he knows. And he's tasked with fighting these individuals. And he's so worried. He's stressed. He can't bring himself to do these things. He can't bring himself to be the warrior and fight in this battle. Now, with every religious text, <laughs> this uh, the Bhagavad Gita is similar in the sense that there's symbolism here. And so when I think about this deeply, I think, okay, well, what's the battlefield? The battlefield could be life. Every single day you're on a battlefield, you know, you're battling your emotions, your stresses, your anxieties. And sometimes you're scared to really face those head on because it's such a daunting task. You know, how do you tell someone close to that you love that, you know, that they're not doing something good for you or that you don't interpret it? as good or they're they're hurting you. It's very challenging. So we can see a little bit of our own anxieties in this initial kind of reticence that Arjuna has. That's sometimes the beauty of these old poems. We see ourselves in the characters. We see we can feel the anxieties that they're going through because we've felt those as well. And so Arjuna is trying to explain this to his guide, Krishna. And Krishna responds in a very simple yet a powerful way. In chapter 2, Krishna says, when the senses contact sense objects, a person experiences cold or heat, pleasure or pain. These experiences are fleeting. They come and go. Bear them patiently. Those who are unaffected by these changes, who are the same in pleasure and pain, are truly wise and fit for immortality. That's so powerful. Think about that in your own life. You know, when someone says something to you and it really hurts you, or when someone um, really gets to you, or they get under your skin and it forces a lot of negative reactions on your part, um, what Krishna is telling Arjuna is, hey, it's okay to feel what you're feeling, but don't get wrapped up in it because it's fleeting. Everything that you feel, both good and bad, are just momentary. It's just a moment in time. It's not who you are. You're not always mad. You know, you're not always upset. You know, you're not always angry. You're just experiencing that in a moment in time. So don't think that because you're experiencing these anxieties, that that's who you are. You are not that. You're just uh, the experiencer of those ex uh, of those emotions but you're not those emotions. And I think this is a really powerful teaching because this is where, in my opinion, uh, I was set into a new direction of understanding how to navigate the challenges of life. Further in chapter two, Krishna goes on to describe that, you know, it's not just that you're not the emotions that you're experiencing, but you do have a duty at whatever stage of life you're in, whatever your calling is, you do have a duty. And in Hinduism, uh, this is considered dharma, your divine law. Why you're here? What is your purpose? Um, in Arjuna's case, he's the warrior. That's his divine purpose. Now, some people interpret this as justification for war. 
But again, the way I interpret this is that it's not justifying, you know, holy war or divine war or attacking people. I think what Krishna is trying to tell Arjuna and all of us is that uh, you have to find your own dharma, your own divine law, and you have to pursue that at all costs. You have the right to work. This is from the Bhagavad Gita in chapter 2. It says, you have the right to work, but never the fruit of, of your work. You should never engage in action for the sake of reward, nor should you long for inaction. Perform work in this world as a man established within himself without selfish attachments and alike in success and defeat. So this is really powerful. Krishna is telling Arjuna, listen, you're the warrior. Whether you like this or not, you have the right to work, but you do not have the right to the fruits of your work. You have the, you should never engage in action for the sake of reward. I mean, think about that. That's so powerful. Right? You, you have the right to work, but not for the fruits of your work. You have to work. You have to work to better yourself, your community, your society. That's your Dharma. And it'll take different forms for all of us, right? Like some of us are great artists, professors, musicians, engineers, but we have a right to work not for the sake of our reward, but for the sake of our Dharma, the sake of our divine internal law that's governing. Why do you want to be an engineer, right? You want to be an engineer so you can give back to society in some way. You can make things more efficient. You can build uh, structures that are are perhaps less costly or more in- innovative or can fit more people or can make it easier for people or whatever the case is. There's a reason you're an engineer. There's a reason you're a lawyer. There's a reason you're a doctor, You know, there's a reason why you are who you are with the skills that you have. And the fruit of your work is not your right. The fruit of your work, you know, will potentially come, but your right is work. And I found that very powerful. Again, similar to this podcast. I I haven't made a single cent from this podcast, but I have a right to keep working at it. I don't have a right to, you know, only do podcasts for monetary benefit. You know, and I'm going to be real here, if that were the case, I would have given this up a very long time ago. (laughs) Right? I mean, I would have given this up, I would have been like, you know what, the amount of time I'm sinking into it, the amount of energy I'm putting in, and there's no reward, but what's reward? I have no right to that reward. I only have the right to do what, again, I need to do for this podcast, which is work at it bring out the conversations I want to bring out, bring out the the important topics and share it with all of you. That's my right. I don't have the right to, you know, have an ad sponsor that gives me 10 grand an episode or something like that, right? So you have the right to work, not the fruit of work. And so in that vein, you can't get really anxious about doing what you're supposed to do, I think is what Krishna is trying to tell Arjuna. He's telling him, he's like, listen, I get it. Nobody really wants to cross that bridge, but because you're the warrior, you have to, right? Some some people might be reticent to, you know, go to law school and pay that money for law school, for example, or go to med school and pay that money for med school. But if it's in you, if it's in you and you know that that's where you want to go, you have to do it. You must. That's what Krishna is trying to say. This is your divine law. 
and you have to follow it. Because if you don't follow your divine law, if you don't, if you, if you go against your, your divine law, it's in Krishna's eyes considered dishonor. And it's going to be repeated endlessly throughout your existence, um, in this life and to the next, because you can't walk away from your divine law. Now, forget about professional life and all that for a second. Think about it when it comes to relationships, right? If someone is really upsetting you, if it's your spouse, your partner, and they're really getting to you, and they're doing things that really, like, and you just say, you know what, I'm just going to kind of shove it under a rug and, you know, we're not going to talk. That's not good. Because you know that this is, it's going to really eat at you and affect you. And it's going to manifest in different ways in your life, right? You might find that you're not the best person to have dinner with. You're not the best person to be around. You're not the best person to interact. And people will always ask, well, what's wrong? What's going on? What's going on? And all of the things that this person has been doing has been kind of shoved under this rug. And again, what Krishna is trying to say is, listen, nobody really wants to cross that bridge, but you have to. You can't torment yourself. You have to figure out a way to cross that bridge. You have to be aligned with who you are and what your Dharma divine law is. Um, and again, this is where I think the Bhagavad Gita crosses from religion into human psychology, right? We all have these challenges in our lives, but we struggle with crossing those bridges. And again, Krishna is trying to help Arjuna cross that bridge. And the last thing I want us to emphasize with the Bhagavad Gita, uh, because I do want to keep these these episodes quite succinct so that it just wets your whistle is, again, the symbolism in how we can relate it back to our own lives. You know, there's an entire chapter in the Bhagavad Gita about the importance of work and selfless work. Um, in that chapter, Krishna says, the ignorant work for their own profit, the wise work for the welfare of the world without thought for themselves. And again, these are very powerful statements because the Bhagavad Gita is trying to emphasize that you know, we're here for a reason, and our reason is to follow our divine law internally and to work not in pursuit of ourselves and our own kind of security, but in the pursuit of our society, our world, our family. Um, we're the doer for, for the benefit of our society. And that's our goal. And think about it again in your own life. How many of us, including myself, chase things for that monetary or that profit or the, you know, the idea of profit um, and that being the central goal? And then when we do that, we're never really, you know, fully satisfied, right? You chase that bigger promotion and then you get it. And then what, right? Are you, are you happy? No, not really. I mean, you just kind of get used to it. You chase that um, that side hustle, and it gets you so much more money. And then what, right? If if these things are out of sync with who you are as a person, you'll find that you'll be very unhappy, and you'll still be kind of in this wheel, um, a hamster wheel, almost kind of chasing yourself because you're not kind of aligning your your actions with what you're here to do. And what you're here to do, you know, sometimes we think, oh, what am I here to do? I don't know. Um, but what Krishna is trying to say is that that's 
part of the quest is to figure out what you're here to do and do it in a very selfless manner. And in subsequent chapters throughout the Bhagavad Gita, what Arjuna is trying to do is explain to Krishna the emotions and the feelings that he's feeling. And in his explanations, again, is this very similar, uh, you know, we can all understand where Arjuna is coming from. And that's the power of the Bhagavad Gita. In a nutshell, we as humans can identify almost completely with Arjuna. He is being, you know, feeling anxiety and stressed, um, but he's also questioning himself and saying, hey, you know, I I don't want to do this. It's much more pleasant for me to not do this. I'd rather not do this. And, you know, he's he's posing the questions to Krishna that we all have in our own lives, right? We all have these same questions, you know, the idea of just giving up and saying, I'd rather just watch Netflix. I mean, that's really what Arjuna is trying to tell Krishna. He's like, dude, I'd rather watch Netflix and chill than do this. <laughs> and Krishna is trying to say, okay, if you choose to do that, you're actually going to contribute to endless suffering for yourself because you must be guided uh, by a divine, by your, you must be in line with your internal dharma. Um, and don't be so attracted to the pleasant aversion of not doing. You know, the not doing is very dangerous. So that's the power, I believe, of the Bhagavad Gita. It's, some may consider a religious text. Again, I consider it a human psychology text, because Arjuna is explaining to Krishna his emotions, his feelings, his fears, and Krishna is trying to help guide him through those emotions, through those feelings, through those fears. And by the end of it, you realize that you can very clearly identify with Arjuna. It's a very short book. It's about 180 pages or so, um, but it's filled with so much knowledge and wisdom, and it's timeless. You know, I made this comment to a friend of mine. I said, who knows where YouTube, if YouTube will be around in even 50 years from now, um, even 20 years from now. I mean, I'm sure that YouTube in some form will be around in 20 years, but 50 years from now, I don't know. The Bhagavad Gita was written conservatively 5,000 years ago. Conservatively. Think about how much human technological advances have happened since then, and still to this day, people read, people like myself, read the Bhagavad Gita and reread it and reread it and find more knowledge within the slim pages of it. So I can't emphasize enough that it is, again, to me at least, not a religious text. It's more a human psychology text. I would strongly encourage you all just to pick up a, a, a book and pick up um, Ignath Eastwarren. I'll link it below. Uh, Ignath Eastwarren's translation and description of the Bhagavad Gita, I find, is very, very good because he begins each chapter with his interpretation in a very clear way of what's trying to be achieved. And I think that the Bhagavad Gita will be continued uh, to hold relevance 5,000, 10,000 years in the future, so long as human beings are on this earth. So that's my kind of read with me first episode out of the gate. The Bhagavad Gita, it is a, a quote-unquote simple text but it's so powerful. 
it's changed my view completely on what I'm here to do. Um, and every day I'm trying to kind of detach myself from the outcome of the work that I do and instead focus on the actual work that's in front of me. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you pick up uh, the Bhagavad Gita's, uh, uh, Iknath Iswaran's uh, translation of the Bhagavad Gita. You know, check it out if you can. Coming from someone who had not been religious or spiritual for the majority of his life, reading this book has kind of reinvigorated my 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 will, my 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 thirst for more knowledge, and it's unlocked deeply um, uh, some of the spiritual underpinning teachings in India. You know, there's I believe seven hundred million people in India who subscribe to. Hinduism. And the Bhagavad Gita is just one of many stories uh, within Hinduism that reiterates this point of, again, you're not your body, you're not your emotions, you're not your mind, you're none of those things. You are something that is beyond those things, and you're here to do, uh, be aligned with your dharma, your divine law. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's really heavy for a first book, I, I know. Um, but my again, my goal is to highlight a book that I've read that has changed my perspective or made me have many aha moments. I'm excited to share with you the the breadth of books that I have lined up, and I can't wait to check you in the next one. As always, leave me a comment, question, or review at thestrongerfreepodcast.com. You can also contact me there, and I'll catch you in the next one. Take care, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Strong and Free Podcast. And remember, this is the place where you can share ideas regardless of your politics and views. So if you have somebody who would be great for this podcast, feel free to reach out. Strong and Free Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, or email me at strongandfree2018 at gmail.com. As always, stay balanced, stay informed, continue learning, and I'll catch you in the next one.